let's read uh, two short parables, and then we will pray and see what God has to say to us. It's Matthew 13. We'll start in verse 44, and we'll read down to verse 46. I'm reading from the New King James. Hopefully you can follow along. Verse 44, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father, as we just prepare our hearts, our minds to seek you this morning and to um, be taught by you, to be loved by you, I pray you, you raise an expectancy in our hearts, Lord, that you shake, of, shake us out of uh, a coma or a cold sleep, Lord, as a church, as the church. Startle us, Lord, with your word. Astound us, Lord, with your power, your teaching, your authority. Father, we uh, just ask for fresh wine, Lord, this season. I pray, Lord, you'd give us a hunger for the eternal, a hunger for the spiritual. And you'd break us of, of the hold that material things have on us, Lord, so that we might fully seek you with our whole heart and nothing less. Lord, you know our struggles with that, and I pray that today another piece of us dies so that another piece of us may live. And I pray you speak to us from your word in Jesus' name, and all God's people agreed by saying, Amen. 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 There's probably something somewhere at some time in your life where you've said, I just gotta have it. Ladies, maybe it's that dress that's on sale that thing in the store, and, and man, it's on sale, and your husband has no idea how much money you're going to save by buying it. You know how that works. You don't know how much money I saved. And, but you just had to have it. You know, you, you know the credit card bills have been high, and you really can't afford it, but you just had to have it. Or maybe, guys, it's the technology, the, the next new technological toy or tinkering thing. It's the iPad, it's the iPod, it's the iPhone, it's the I don't know what's next, but it's something. And, and you, I, I know I just bought the other thing, but I've got to have it. It's new. It's, it's exciting. I, I don't care what it costs. I've got to have it. Or maybe it's an addiction. And, and the addiction is ruining your life. It's ruining your family, but it doesn't matter because you've got to have it, that next fix, that, that next drink, that next high. You'll sell everything. You'll do anything. You'll ruin everything to get that. You're an addict. And that's the, way, uh, you will, that's the way you treat those things. Or maybe it's a cause you really feel strongly about. You're willing to, to go, to do, to be, anything that needs to be to support that cause. Or business you want to start. Maybe you decided, hey, I, we're going to start a business and it's going to take us a lot. It's going to cost us everything to invest in this thing. But I really believe this is, this is what we need to do. So we, we you know remortgage the house, we take out a loan, we do whatever it takes to start that business because we really believe in it, because we really want it. Or maybe even an ambition. I've been fascinated by people that climb Mount Everest. Just for, your, just for the trip out there, not including airfare and all your gear and all that stuff, it costs you $40,000 for the opportunity to summit Everest. 
That's for your permits, your guide, your Sherpas, your, all, all those kind of things. That doesn't include the rest. It's probably about a $100,000 venture to climb Everest. Just for that ambition, just for the possibility. It doesn't even guarantee you make it. Just for the possibility. Esau, we read about Esau in the Old Testament who was hungry after a day hunting and he came back home and he saw that lentil stew that his brother Jacob was making and he said, I'm going to die. I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. I need that. And Jacob said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you your birthright, your inheritance, basically, for this little bowl of of stew. And he said, fine, that's fine. I'll take it, anything. I'll give anything to have something to eat right now. Trading of the spiritual, the eternal, for the material or the temporary. Well, this parable, these two parables actually are the opposite of that. The discussion we are going to have today in the next 10, 15 minutes is about the trading of anything and everything material or worldly for the kingdom of God. The background, Jesus has come onto the the scene. He's come into the synagogues. He's not really welcomed there or accepted there. He has come saying, hey, your Savior is here. The Deliverer of Israel is right here among you. And they said, go away. We're looking for our Savior. I said, I'm right here. No, go away. We're, we're looking for the Savior. And he tells them, the kingdom has come upon you. And he's speaking to them now after they have rejected him. Uh, he's speaking in parables, earthly stories with heavenly meetings, earthly comparisons so that you can understand spiritual or heavenly truths. And there are seven parables in this chapter, chapter 13. And some of them are difficult to understand. Jesus explains a few of them, and those we get perfectly. But the ones he doesn't explain, it seems that we still discuss and try to figure out what's really being said. He's teaching them truths that had previously been hidden but are now being revealed. They had expectations of what it would be like when the Savior showed up, and it wasn't like that. So the soils, the parable of the four soils, involves the expectation that the nation of Israel, all of the nation of Israel, would be involved in the kingdom of heaven. And the nation of Israel only. But the truth was that the kingdom would be received by the individuals whose hearts were right. Not just national Israel. But those whose hearts were right and ready to accept. The parable of the wheat and the tares. They thought righteousness will reign and wickedness will be punished and destroyed. The truth was righteousness and wickedness would coexist for a period till the end of the age. That's what he's teaching them. The mustard seed and the leaven, the expectation was that the kingdom of God, when the deliverer or the savior showed up, the kingdom of God would come in powerfully and quickly. The truth was, Jesus said, it's going to start out small and insignificant, and it's going to grow. And now here we are with these two parables talking about a valuable treasure and a valuable pearl. The setting is Jesus is speaking only to the disciples. The multitudes had gone away. The disciples had come to him privately, asked him to explain a different parable, which he did for them. And now Jesus gives them two more parables on top of that. My guess is that these two parables are meant to encourage the disciples in their decision to forsake everything and follow Jesus. That's my guess. Uh, Again, just an inference from reading the parables. 
So the two parables, the first one, uh, kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. A man is, is walking through a field. He's not particularly on a, uh, on a mission to find treasure. He's not a treasure hunter. He's walking through a field. And he stubs his toe on something and says, hey, what was that? And he brushes away the dirt. And, and it's a treasure. It's it's buried bag of gold coins or something that's of tremendous value. He hadn't been looking for it, but he stumbled upon it. And he recognizes what he's found, and he sort of covers it back up. And he leaves. And his desire is to have that treasure, but he can't have the treasure unless he buys the field. Because the treasure belongs to whoever the field belongs to. And that's the way it would have worked. It would have been considered the possession of the one who owned the field. So he goes, and what does he do? He sells a little, some. He sells everything. So he can go back and purchase the field, but he's not, not the field that he wanted, is it? He wanted the treasure out of the field. That's what his aim was. That's what his goal was. That's what he said, no matter what the cost, I've got to have that field because I've got to have that treasure. Don't know how many people had walked by this treasure before. How many people had passed right by it and not seen it? But he sees it and he knows what he's found. He knows the value of it. Now, the second parable called the pearl of great price or the pearl of great value, is a little bit different. This time we have a merchant who is seeking pearls, uh, beautiful pearls. This guy is a pearl dealer. He's a pearl trader. He knows what he's looking for. He knows how to find and spot a valuable pearl. He knows how to find a cheap imitation. So as he's out searching, he's trading, he's buying, he's selling uh, different places, and, and he finds this one pearl that has that particular transparency, that luster. And it's got, it's a certain, it's large. And it's got the, just the right color and shine and sheen to it. And he knows when he finds it, because he's good at this, he's an expert. He knows what he's found. And he does the same thing again. Look at the emphasis on, in both of them. The first guy, the guy that stumbles upon the treasure, he sells all. And the second guy, the merchant, when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold how much? He sold all that he had and bought it. So interesting two parables that we have here. A lot of things in common. Jesus doesn't interpret either of them. But most people agree they're teaching basically the same idea with a little bit different nuance, a little bit different um, idea uh, kind of in the center of it. But basically the same thing. There is a disagreement about what exactly that is, which makes our time here together fun. But I'm going to hopefully reason together about both interpretations, and then you guys will have to go home and make your choice how, what you think it means. We also know that each require, each of the people in the, in the parables were required to sell everything. So what's being taught? Dwight Pentecost said, the problem with interpreting these two parables is to determine whether or not they are meant to be understood from the human viewpoint or the divine viewpoint. The difficulty is, are we learning about a quality of Jesus or a necessity of man? Are we learning a quality of Jesus or a necessity of mankind? So the divine perspective, what's the divine perspective? In the divine perspective, meaning looking at it as a quality of Jesus, Jesus is the one who's seeking. He's the guy that walks through the field and finds the treasure. And he's the merchant looking for the, the, the pearls. 
And it's based on, this interpretation is based on the big fact that those that, that fall in this camp would say that it can't be you and I as the, the merchant or the man because we don't have anything to buy the kingdom with. And say, oh, that, that makes good sense. We know that that's true. We don't have anything to, the kingdom of God is, is we're, we're in there by grace through faith. It's a gift. And we know that, those of us that have studied the Bible. We know we're saved by grace, born again by the Spirit. We know we've been redeemed, not with silver or gold or stones, but with what? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us. You've been bought with a price, the Bible says. He bought us. We, didn't, we don't buy our, you can't buy your way into the kingdom. It doesn't matter how many tithing checks you put into your church or how much you put in the, the plate that goes around. You cannot buy your way into the kingdom. You cannot work your way into the kingdom. So those that fall in this camp see, those, see that the buying aspect as a primary thing. Also the fact that Israel is called a treasure in the Old Testament. And say, well that must be, this Jesus then has to be the seeker. He's the one that's looking. And what does he find? He finds us. Both Jew and Gentile. He finds us, the church. And he purchases us with his own blood. Now, that makes a lot of sense. But here's why I disagree with it. Personally, again, I'll also warn you, if you like to listen to Calvary Chapel, other Calvary Chapel pastors, Joe Fosh, Chuck Smith, John Corson, and Skip Heitzig, and the other well-known Calvary pastors, you'll find that I am now officially about to disagree with every other pastor in our denomination, you could say. Um, But I feel strongly about the way that I see this. So again, if you fall in the other camp, that's fine. You'll be in good company. Both camps have great scholarship behind them. But here's my reasoning, and then you can search it out. If Jesus is the man in each of these parables, the man or the merchant, that person trades up, right? Everything he had, everything he had was sold to get something of more value, more inherent value. Did Jesus trade up or down when he got me, when he got you? For love, because he loved you, he traded down. He was in glory with the Father in eternity, at the, seated there. And he gave all of that up to come down to earth. And what he get? He got me and you. I'm thinking, man, he got ripped off. I know me. And I am no pearl. <laughs> I am no treasure. But because of love, that's how Jesus sees us. But truthfully, in, in the parable here, the thing that is obtained is of much greater value than the thing that is sold or the thing that is sacrificed. Does that make sense? That's one reason I disagree. The second reason I disagree is because this person, this merchant, this man was buying something that didn't belong to him already. And I think that it would make more sense in the parable. Jesus is, God is our creator. Jesus, he established Israel through Abraham. He already owned them. They just had rebelled, walked away. And so he came back to seek and save that which was lost, not that which he never had in the first place. Again, I think the parable may be more true in this sense if it had said, well, a man had a treasure, but he gave it away or he lost it. And, he's, and now he's buying it back. That may make more sense with this interpretation. Finally, I think it'd be kind of silly to say that Jesus had simply stumbled upon the treasure. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. He, Jesus didn't come to earth going, oh, man, I'm going to go down to earth and have a good time 
And then while he was here having, having a good time, he said, whoa, look at these people. I kind of like them. They're kind of neat, you know. Maybe I'll redeem them. It was his plan from the beginning. So I think it would be faulty to interpret Jesus as just kind of stumbling upon the treasure. So what's the other perspective? This is now you're going to hear where, where I kind of believe this, this parable, what Jesus is teaching them. And by the way, uh, John Piper, those of you that are John Piper fans, also in this camp, the human perspective. In this perspective, the kingdom, and, and in conjunction with that, Jesus are the treasure and the pearl. We are the ones that are the merchant or the one walking through the field. Actually, there's a little, and this is one of the things I believe is a little nuance in this. I think the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are the ones who kind of stumble upon it. We're not part of the nation of Israel. And this is what Paul writes in, um, in Romans. He quotes Isaiah, who says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Speaking of the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people in the world who sort of going about our business, we stumble upon it. I mean, that's how I found God. I sort of stumbled upon him. I'm not Jewish by nature. I didn't grow up learning the Torah and going to all those things. And then the merchant, I think, would be those diligent scribes and Pharisees that actually did have ears to hear. They're searching the scriptures, thinking that in the scriptures they'll find life, but they point to Jesus, and some of them got it. Nicodemus got it. Joseph of Arimathea got it. Some of these scribes, they're out seeking, searching, and they find Jesus, who the scriptures pointed to, and they say, ha, that's the one, the pearl of great price. It's him. So I base my understanding of this on the fact that the issue isn't the buying and the selling. The issue is the value of what you have does not even compare the value of everything you have. If you had to sell it all for this one other thing, it'd be worth it. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you do on the face of this earth is nothing compared to the value of the kingdom of heaven. And that, I believe, is what is being taught to his disciples. You see, it's an encouragement to them. They've chosen to go against the grain. They're Jews. And they've chosen to go against with the Pharisees who were not recognizing the value. By the way, when we talk about the language of buying, that's not altogether uncommon. So even though it says, you know, they sold everything to buy, Isaiah 55.1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. You who have no money. Did these guys have anything in their pocket? Did they say, yeah, how much you want for that pearl? I got it right here. Or let me go home and work for a couple of months. I'll save up some money. I'll come back and I'll buy it. No, it was really more of a trade-off. Everything they had was just bartered in exchange for the thing that was so valuable. So what's the main point? The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that the person who really wants it will get it at all cost. The cost of discipleship is worth the value of the kingdom. Just like the, the merchant, just like that man who stumbles upon the treasure, to find, to stumble upon or to find the kingdom of God, to find Jesus, to make him Lord of my life, is so valuable, so 
overarchingly valuable above anything else I could have or do or want or be, that it is worth nothing to stand in the way. Nothing should stand in the way. Whatever I have, whatever I am, whatever I need, at all costs, it's almost like there's an obsession with it where you sort of get this in your mind. These guys go home and they have a huge yard sale. And imagine the wife, when he comes home, says, hey, honey, guess what? I found a pearl, and we got to buy it, so I got to sell the house. The house and the heirlooms. That was my grandmother's. You can't sell that. It's got to go. We need everything. Everything must go. You see, there's got to be a willingness to forsake everything. And we've sold We've sold discipleship very cheap in America. We've sold discipleship very cheap. See, we just want to add Jesus to everything else we do because we are good multitaskers in this country, aren't we? I mean, we're real. we don't want to miss anything. That's why we, we can't watch just one show. We need 185 channels, and we'll watch one for five minutes, and we'll move on to the next one and we'll watch that for five minutes because something better might be on the next channel. I don't want to miss that. Or we have TiVo or... Whatever it is, and we can watch or, or split screen. and So we just try to add Jesus to what we already have. And that is not the way it works. The Pharisees stood to lose a lot to follow Jesus. Their power structure, their religious structure, their authority structure, all of these things that they valued, their wealth. And they said, you know what? It's not worth it to us. And so they rejected Jesus. But what about the disciples? What about the disciples who left their jobs? Who, Matthew Levi, who wrote this, this gospel, was a tax collector. He made good, good money. And because of following Jesus, he gave that up. He gave up his friends. Some give up their families to follow the Lord. You, go over, you don't see that so much in America, but overseas, if you're, if you're a Muslim and you convert to Christianity, guess what? You are now on, on death row, and your family disowns you. But they say it's so valuable. The kingdom of Jesus is so valuable. I can stay with my family and spend eternity in hell. Or I can have Jesus and have it all. I may have to give up my family here, but I get the kingdom of heaven. Let me just read to you a couple passages and then we'll prepare for communion. Luke 14, 26 is about counting the cost. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Those are strong words, aren't they? So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, the trade-off, notice in, in, the, in the first parable, the treasure, why does he sell all? For what? What is the, the response in the heart? Read it right there. But for joy. But for joy, he does it. For joy. When he finds the kingdom of God, he is so happy, so filled with joy, that there is nothing that will stand in his way from obtaining it. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. Paul said, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. The rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, sell all and distribute to the poor. 
Oh, he goes away sad. Can't do it. And this discussion springs out of that with Jesus and the disciples. They said, well, who can ever have, who can enter the kingdom? He said, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then Peter, the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth, steps in and says, well, Jesus, we've forsaken all to follow you. And Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. I remember when, Frank, you and Tom had gone up to Calvary Chapel, Louisa, for a Sunday night Bible study. And this is at the time when we were just trying to figure out what in the Lord God, or what, what God was doing with us at this time, what was happening uh, in our lives. And I get the phone call. They'd gone to talk to the pastor there in Louisa about, you know, uh, church and planting a church. And, well, if you're called to plant a church, God's probably already raised up the person who would pastor it. Remember that? Remember that phone call? And I get a call. I'm in bed. and I get a call. Guess what, Steve? You're going to be a pastor. Really? <laughs> Scary. Really scary. And I remember looking at Helga and saying, and she knew, we knew this was what was happening in our lives. And I remember looking at Helga saying, are you ready to move if we have to move? Are you ready to give up the house? I don't know, if we'll, I don't know what the future holds for us. But we know this is what we've got to do. We know we've got to follow God fully. And if this is what it takes, are we ready? Are we ready for the sacrifice? Jim Elliott, one of the five men that died in attempt to reach the uh, Indians in Ecuador, wrote this in his journal. One of the greatest blessings is the appreciation of heaven on earth. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Many of you know that quote. So the question for you as we prepare for communion are you one of those that just does not really value the kingdom of God? It's just sort of stuck in there with all your other ambitions and it's sort of on the side burner and you, 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 know, you participate if you can, but you've got, you're climbing Everest and that's really important. Or you're starting a business. Or you've got you know, ambitions. Our kids are going far with athletics. And we've got to pursue that. And maybe you do to a certain degree, but... Maybe it's going to cost you that. Maybe it's your popularity. Maybe it's high school kids. And maybe it's, you know, if I accept Jesus, if I follow him fully, if I fully appreciate the value in following Jesus, maybe it'll cost me my popularity. Maybe it'll cost you your sin. Maybe that sin has separated you from God. And you're just holding on, clinging to it and trying, you know, you're putting on the happy face, as Rick said, and you're coming here and, but you're just not willing to give it up. There is no middle ground. You must be driven, focused, single-minded, and wholehearted in your seeking for the kingdom of God, or else you will not find it. You will not find it. It will elude you. And you see, that's what Jesus is teaching. He's encouraging the disciples who have given up, who have sacrificed, hey, you have not lost anything in your sacrifice. Matter of fact, you have gained everything from your sacrifice. So, 
Ask yourselves where you are. As, as Phil's going to come back up, and we're just going to prepare our hearts with a couple of songs for communion. We'll have a time to share from the Word of God with one another, and then we'll partake uh, just before 1130. It's a tough word, big word, isn't it, from the Lord? But boy, what a difference that would make in the church, huh? What a difference that would make. Do you value, do you really value the kingdom of heaven more than anything else you have? More than any other thing. Ambition. You know, I, had a, I was at the top of my career. And I'm just, I can just use, you know, just seeing the way God has worked this out in my life, just at the top of my career. And I had to pray, God, you need to change my heart because I want to keep doing what I'm doing. But I know what you're calling me to do. I know how you're calling me to follow you. And, and it, it, here I am. You know, I don't know how it worked out. God changed my heart. I don't feel like I've lost anything, though. God is no man's debtor. He will not. If you give up something for him, you will receive back a hundred times what you've given up. What, is he going to call you to give up your, your, your alcohol? Is he going to call you to give up your sin, your pornography? Is that really a sacrifice? 